Okay, so today we're going to be looking at Chapter 4 of Colossians, and we will start just with a summary of Colossians. Okay, Paul wrote, as you remember, um, as a response to the false teaching that was creeping into the church and challenging the supremacy of Christ. And in chapter 2, verse 9, he said, In him is all the fullness of the deity. He said, Jesus is God. And the theme verse in chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, he said, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And then in chapter 3, he goes over the lifestyle of the new man in Christ. And so that brings us to chapter 4. So I'll go ahead and read that, and this is from the NIV. So starting in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Damas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Okay, so these are Paul's final brief instructions to the church and also just the final greeting. So you can kind of divide this chapter into two sections. So we'll start with verses 2 through 6 and his final instructions to us. And these really describe how the Christian should look to the outside world. John MacArthur describes this as losing the accent of the world and taking on the heavenly accent. Now, I'm from Pittsburgh, and when I go to Pittsburgh, they tell me that I have taken on a southern accent. <laughs> I'm not even aware of it. I don't even hear it. And that's how it should be with us, with the heavenly accent, that as we spend time in the, in the Word and spend time with God's people, we should be sounding less and less like the world and more and more taking on that heavenly accent. So how did Jesus speak? So these are just four examples of, that characterized his speech. So let's look at Matthew verse, or chapter 5, verse 2. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So Jesus taught. In Luke 4, 22, 
all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. So Jesus' words were gracious. In Luke 11:54, When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. So they, no one could use his words to accuse him. So Jesus' words were above reproach. And in 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So he was never deceitful or tricky. So those are just four examples for us. So you can summarize this section with four uh, instructions for us. We need to pray, we need to proclaim, we need to behave well as an example, and we need to know how to speak to people. So we'll go through each one of these. Okay, in verse 2, Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So being devoted to prayer is to persist in prayer, never giving up, and having times of prolonged prayer. So there's lots of examples of this, but since I'm in Nehemiah right now, um, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 1 in verse 4. Nehemiah said, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then there's the long prayer that Nehemiah prays. So he had times of prolonged prayer. Being watchful means always to have an attitude of prayer. So in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, he's talking to the king. And it says, The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. So even in the moment, Nehemiah prayed right before he answered the king. So it's having that uh, attitude of prayer all the time, that we can have times of prolonged prayer and also pray in the moment. And always with thanksgiving, watching to see what God is doing, and that keeps us alert to how he's already answering us, and it keeps our hearts inclined towards his. And verse 3 Paul says, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. The ESV says to declare the mystery. So Paul asked for opportunities. He asked for open doors. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, Paul prays this same prayer, which makes sense because Paul wrote Ephesians about the same time that he wrote to the Colossians. So he's praying... um, asking all the churches for the same thing, for open doors. He says, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of this gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Okay, in Acts 28, we read about Paul's imprisonment in Rome. And Paul was in prison for two years under house arrest. And during that time, he wrote Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. Let's look at verse uh, 23 of chapter 28. He says, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and they came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And then look at verse 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you think that that prayer was answered? (laughs) 
he had an open door for two years. So no matter where Paul was or what his circumstances, Paul preached the word. And he never prayed for physical release. He never prayed for um, that he would hold up under the stress or for his personal needs. He prayed for open doors to the gospel. In verse 3, um, the op- that open door, um, look at 1 Corinthians um, chapter 16, verses 8 through 9 where Paul writes about um, why he was in Ephesus for so long. It was because a door was opened to him for over two years, and so he stayed there. And then in Acts um, chapter 16, verse 6 and 7, he says, Doors were closed in Asia Minor and in Bithynia. So God was opening doors and God was closing doors. Look at Revelation 3, 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So God's in control, and we just need to pray and ask for those opportunities. And as we're going into Thanksgiving and Christmas, where we're going to be with family and friends and possibly people who aren't saved, um, that's what we need to do is to pray for the opportunities to share. And when you do that, be ready because he answers that prayer. Um, We were in Pittsburgh visiting my family one year, and we had prayed that prayer, and we were visiting my uncle, and out of the blue, he said, so, do you think that Jesus accomplished what he came here to do? (laughs) We were floored. (laughs) So, be ready when you pray that prayer. Paul said, uh, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, in verse 4. Paul's motivation was to clearly present the gospel. So that's a word for us. We just need to stick to the scriptures and don't stray apart from that. In verse 5, Paul says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Outsiders meaning people who were not within the church, non-believers. And this is um, that we would walk the walk and not just talk the talk. You've heard the saying, your life speaks so loudly I can't hear what you say. Um, In Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 shows how we are to live in regard to our relationships. And I think this is one thing that people especially notice is how we relate to each other as believers. Um, Colossians 1, 10. This is where Paul is praying for the Colossians that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. This is what he's talking about, that they would walk the walk. The Colossians had no building, they had no literature, they had no signs. Their only testimony was what they said and how they lived. And even today with all the additional materials that we have to get the word out, that's still what people notice is what we say and how we live and do they, do they match. Okay, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And this is how a Christian should respond to everyone in every situation, which is graciously. Um, Salt uh, stings a wound, but it also heals. It prevents corruption. It has a purifying influence, so it could rescue a conversation. It flavors, it accents. So another way of saying salt in a conversation could be charm and wit. It's saying just the right thing at the right time to each person. A salty conversation is one that causes the gospel to be appealing and attractive and make people want to hear more. So that's something we need to pray for, that God would make our conversation salty. 
Okay, now the second part of chapter 4 is really a group snapshot of the ministry that, uh, of, at that time while Paul was in Rome. And I confess to you, this is the part that I would normally just kind of skim over. <laughs> but it was so interesting to really see who these men were because it did give a picture of the ministry and what was happening in the early church. The first uh, two were the ones that actually carried the letters uh, on this trip, and that was Tychicus um, and Onesimus. So these are the men who were serving with Paul while he was in Rome, while he was in prison, and you can know that these men were very loyal and that they loved Paul because um, to associate with a prisoner had a, carried a stigma with it, and people who associated with Paul could have ended up in prison with him. So you know that they were very loyal. So Tychicus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justus, Epaphras, Luke, and Damas. Okay, Tychicus had a servant's heart. He was a messenger, so he was carrying the letters. And so he was highly trusted. He was entrusted with the letters to the Ephesians, the Colossians, as well as to Philemon. And he was also carrying news about Paul and the ministry and encouraging the saints. So obviously there was no email, there was not snail mail, <laughs> so that's how they shared news. Um, he was also among those who went on many long and difficult journeys with Paul, and traveling in those days was not only difficult, it was dangerous. Paul also sent Tychicus as an interim pastor to the church in Ephesus so that Titus and Timothy could be with him. So he was a beloved brother, he was a faithful minister, he was an interim pastor, and he was a valuable liaison between Paul and the churches. Did I miss? Whoops, I'm not on track here. Okay, sorry about that. You have that in your handout, so. Okay, Onesimus um, was a runaway slave, and he belonged to Philemon, who was a Colossian, a wealthy Colossian, who had a house church in Colossae. But Onesimus was not a believer, and he ran away to Rome where he just happened to run into Paul and became a Christian. Um, runaways in those days were executed, so um, there was really not a lot of motivation for him to go back to Philemon. However, um, Paul wanted him to go back because that was the right thing to do, and so that's why he was writing to Philemon to encourage Philemon to take him back, not as a runaway slave, but as a beloved brother in the Lord. So he traveled with Tychicus um, to deliver the letters and return to Philemon. Um, Aristarchus um, sent his greetings. Paul called him a fellow prisoner. He was a Jew with a Greek name from Thessalonica. He spent three years in Ephesus with Paul, and he was his companion while he was in prison in Rome. Um, Paul called these men who were Jews men of the circumcision, and there weren't very many uh, Jewish men with him, so he appreciated them. He said that they were a comfort to him. Okay, Mark, who also called John Mark, sent his greetings. Mark was a cousin of Barnabas. Um, in Acts chapter 13, it says that Mark accompanied Paul as a group help with the group as a helper. Um, but in verse 13 of the trip, um, the Travel had become dangerous, and so Mark went back. And so then in chapter 15 of Acts, there was a discussion between Paul and Barnabas about whether or not to take Mark on another trip. And Paul said, absolutely not. He didn't trust him. But Barnabas said he should go, possibly because he was his cousin. 
Uh, so they had a disagreement and parted ways over that issue. However, um, Mark ended up working with Peter. And you remember Peter was a man who also blew it and was restored by the Lord. He denied Christ three times, and then Jesus restored him. So Peter kind of took Mark under his wing, and in um, 1 Peter 5.13, Peter called Mark his son. So he was restored, and then later in 2 Timothy, um, Paul even said to Timothy, bring Mark with you, with you. He is helpful to me in ministry. And so when he says in Colossians that you've received instruction about Mark, I think he was telling them that this man has been restored and to welcome him back. Where he said, let's see where he said, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. So Mark was a man restored. Okay, Justice, um, his name was Jesus. They called him Justice, possibly to distinguish him from Jesus Christ. The name Justice meant the righteous. And all we really know about him was that he was a Jew and that he worked with Paul. So we know he was a committed and loyal believer. Okay, Epaphras also sent his greetings. And Epaphras is the Colossian who founded and pastored the church at Colossae. You remember in verse 1, or in, not verse 1, in chapter 1 of Colossians, where Paul says, you learned the gospel from Epaphras. Um, Paul um, actually preached the gospel in Ephesus where Epaphras heard the word and brought it back to Colossae. So Paul never actually preached in Colossae. It was Epaphras who founded the church there. Uh, then Paul, Epaphras returned to Rome uh, to share with Paul the false teaching that was creeping into the church, and Colossians was the letter that Paul wrote in response to this. And Epaphras labored in prayer for the Colossians. In verse 12 of chapter 4, Paul says, He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Epaphras also ministered in Laodicea and Hierapolis because those cities were only about 10 miles away from Colossae. Uh, Luke also sent his greetings. Luke was Paul's physician. Uh, Paul was sick on his first missionary journey, so he took Luke along on the second journey. And possibly he gave up a practice in order to do that. Luke wrote 50 chapters of the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Uh, Damas also sent greetings. He was with Paul during both imprisonments. But while Mark was a man restored, Damas did not finish well. Uh, later in 2 Timothy 4.9, Paul wrote, Damas has forsaken me, having loved this world and departed to Thessalonica. Though there were no further comments about him. And then as Paul comes to the end of the letter, he says, Give greetings to Nympha, a church met in her house in Laodicea. Depending on the translation, Nympha could be Nymphas, which could be a male. We don't know if that's a male or a female, but we know it was someone who hosted a house church. He said, Exchange letters with Laodicea. All of these letters were meant to be passed around to all the churches. They were called them circular letters. And he mentions a letter from Laodicea in verse 16, and we don't have that letter, so that was most likely lost. And then he says to Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you received in the Lord. And Archippus may have been the son of Philemon and his wife Aphia. So Paul probably dictated this letter, and then to show that this was really from him, he took the pen and signed it himself. 
and that he reminds them that he's in prison, and then he ends with grace just like he began the letter with, give, with offering grace. So now I would like to read to you the message. So this is the same chapter in the message. It's written in a very familiar tone, and that's probably the same tone that Paul wrote his letter in, that they would have received this letter in. And it just um, sounds more like what the Colossian church must have heard. So starting in verse 2. Pray diligently. Stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. Don't forget to pray for us that God will open doors for telling the mystery of Christ even while I'm locked up in this jail. Pray that every time I open my mouth, I'll be able to make Christ plain as day to them. Use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. My good friend Tychicus will tell you all about me. He's a trusted minister and companion in the service of the Master. I've sent him to you so that you would know how things are with us, and so he could encourage you in your faith. And I've sent Onesimus with him. Onesimus is one of you and has become such a trusted and dear brother. Together they'll bring you up to date on everything that has been going on here. Aristarchus, who is in jail here with me, sends greetings. Also Mark, cousin of Barnabas. You received a letter regarding him. If he shows up, welcome him. And also Jesus, the one they call Justice. These are the only ones left from the old crowd who have stuck with me in working for God's kingdom. Don't think they haven't been a big help. Epaphras, who is one of you, says hello. What a trooper he has been. He's been tireless in his prayers for you, praying that you'll stand firm, mature, and confident in everything God wants you to do. I've watched him closely and can report on how hard he has worked for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, good friend and physician, and Damas both send greetings. Say hello to our friends in Laodicea, also to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After this letter has been read to you, make sure it also gets read in Laodicea, and get the letter that went to Laodicea and have it read to you. And, oh yes, tell Arch Archippus, do your best in the job you received from the Master. Do your very best. I'm signing off in my own handwriting. Paul, remember to pray for me in this jail. Grace be with you. And so I'll end on the same note as Paul. Grace be with all of you. <laughs>